Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how's your week been? Uh, busy, Bryce. Very busy, thank you, but enjoyable. Hi. Good stuff. You're always busy, Chris. Always the same, mate. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Too modest, I think. But uh, another busy man joining us is Manu Vett. Hey, Bryce, how are you doing? Not too bad. It's a long time since I spoke to you. Uh, less than 24 hours, I believe. Yes, that's very right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, podcast after podcast day. Eh? But in true gig impressing um, fashion, uh, Bruce Imrich and Gladbach lost this weekend. So that obviously means that John McKenzie is joining us as well. John, how are you? Yeah, wonderful as always. Oh, there he is. <laughs> oh, we missed you, John. I insisted that you should have come in last week, but um, oh well. Um, guys, let's just jump into the Friday night game. But there was plenty of talk. Now the uh, transfer window is closed um, about um, how new players would get on just uh, with their new sites. That obviously brings us to Borussia Dortmund, who sold Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who we kind of suspected might be the case. He always flirts with the transfer window, but uh, this time it seemed a little bit different, and he's moved over to Arsenal. That means coming in uh, on loan from Chelsea is Mickey Batshuayi. And what a debut he's had, as we've seen. Dortmund beats Cologne 3-2, a game that we had all suspected that Cologne may actually come out on top as they've been in good form recently, but that wasn't to be the case, and that's why, well, scored two on his debut. Um, well, let's go to our guest, John. John, hmm. how big a signing is this for Dortmund? Um, and I suppose the, the question everyone's asking is, um, is Batshuayi the man to make a difference, and is he the Aubameyang replacement? I know you've come to me on purpose because I did. I must put my hand on my heart and say that I did say that I thought his signing was a little bit rubbish. I think was the was the, well the, the polite word that I used. When it comes to Mishibachwai, yeah, how do I feel he will fit in at Dortmund? I think it's an interesting one because obviously Dortmund being out of ch the Champions League, knowing that they were going to lose uh, Aubameyang, they knew they needed to get a player who was going to be able to score goals for them. In, in, in the league and also in the Europa League. Uh, and Batshuayi has obviously come in, proven that he can do that already with a, with a couple of goals in, in what was actually a fantastic game, uh, by the way. My issues with, with Batshuayi, the reason why I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant is because I'm not entirely sure that he would be great against the bigger opponents. Obviously, Köln, however you view them at the moment, despite the fact that they are playing probably slightly higher than a, a 20th place team in the Bundesliga uh, are not the the best team in the league so the, the interesting thing to see will be how does Batshuayi fit into uh, the the Dortmund team when they come up against um, other other opponents uh, the example that I like to, to go to here is that um, there was many 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 United fans very very happy when they had a Belgian striker joined them who started off scoring many goals, uh, but those goals have since dried up uh, and it'll be interesting to see how Batshuayi fits in at the same time. And another Belgian striker incidentally scored for uh, Werder Bremen at the weekend and that was Steve Okarigi. Uh, and we wouldn't want to claim that, that because a Belgian striker can score in the Bundesliga, they are therefore a great striker. So that's that's my position on on Batshuayi. I think he's good, but it will be interesting to see how he fits in in the long term. If they were to go on to get Champions League football again, is he going to be the sort of uh, calibre of striker who is really going to perform for them in the big games? To be fair though, John, they don't even know that themselves. That's why they only brought him in alone till the end of the season, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they think they're really not sure themselves, but... I think I, I, I described it as a patchwork in the article that I wrote. It's, it's someone that didn't, that was available for the Europa League, someone who's in mid-season. They could get for free because Arsenal actually is paying the money for the loan deal, the 1.5 million euros paid for by Arsenal. So it's a free transfer. 
Yeah. Right. And then they basically, I, I see this as an extended scouting or extended training session with, with Dortmund until the end of the season where he can show either he's good enough and they will negotiate with Chelsea a deal or he's not and they'll go for someone else. Yeah. The question I think is whether or not this season is going to be a good enough indicator of whether, how he can perform against the big teams. But I suppose that's where the Europa League will come in. John, may I just ask them, obviously you're saying that he seems to have proven to score against the uh, smaller sides uh, for the likes of maybe Chelsea, but he's going to be really tested against uh, the tougher teams. But what what is it about him that you're just not convinced by? I mean, if you look at, he's played a standard Liège, obviously at quite a young age, he scored nearly 40 goals. You know, Marseille, he got 26 and 62. I mean, what is it that you're not convinced by? Hmm. Well, to play devil's advocate against myself, I think one of the problems when trying to assess how good a striker is, is that we often uh, look at a a striker um, compared to maybe a more well-rounded player like a central midfielder or something like that, and we attempt to... Uh, understand whether or not a player is good based on that but obviously a a striker has a very very narrow skill set of things that they have to do well at in order to be successful Uh, and at the bottom line of that uh, of that conversation is always going to be is this player scoring goals and Batshuayi scored two uh, at the weekends uh, and so it'll be it'll be hard for me to argue that I I don't think he's going to perform that well um on the basis of that, if if Batshuayi can score lots and lots of goals against the the teams up to uh, up to sixth or seventh place, I don't think Dortmund r- will really mind so much. Uh, although it is very very close, obviously. In the, I mean, first position to well, second position to eighth position. If he can score goals against those sides, I suppose that that does justify his, his inclusion as well. So I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna put my criticisms on on the cooler at the moment and see how he performs. But my, my, whenever I've watched him play, I've, I've always found him to be a little bit of a, he, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about look, someone looking clumsy at a footballer because I think sometimes you can watch Harry Kane play, for example, and he can look a little bit, uh, ungainly. Um, so, but whenever I've seen Batshuayi play for Chelsea this season and the season before that I did have issues with his link up play. Um, he, he will play as a lone striker. And the question is whether or not Dortmund are actually going to start playing in a way that just looks for uh, looks to find the big man up, up top, as it were, um, compared to maybe what they were doing with Aubameyang, who was a little bit more of a link-up player, who did like to drop in a little bit deeper and um, and start attacks off and, and link the midfield and, and the striking areas as well, which we saw him actually do for Arsenal at the weekend. His his goal was actually quite a nice link-up. Uh, sorry, one of the goals that Arsenal scored was a nice link-up between Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. So the question is, whether for me, whether or not Batshuayi is going to be a bit more of a facilitator in that role or whether or not he is going to be a target man who they are going to, uh, they're just going to, like like Manu says, find the, the, the player in the right place at the right time. If he can do that, Great, but then the question is, what happens when they come up against teams who maybe sit a bit deeper? What about what happens when they're struggling to find the goal? You know, John, maybe to answer that question a little bit, I went back and looked at his statistics before before Chelsea, and that was at the Olympic Marseille, of course, in Ligue 1. Mm. And uh, in his last season there, he scored 17 goals, but he also had nine assists, right. uh, and he had an assist in this game as well. And when actually, when you when you look at Aubameyang's score, there was a video that went around, and uh, I think a statistic as well. I think it was Opta France, but I'm not 100% sure. And I think, I think 90% of Aubameyang's goals were actually just tapped in inside the box. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's really what you're looking for. But, but you know what I'm really curious about? I, I'm curious about Chris's opinion on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Bring him in. Chris, um, do you think that Batswai is a straight swap for Aubameyang? And where do you sit in the whole Batswai camp? Good or bad? Well, I don't think he's a straight swap because it's no secret that Dortmund wanted Giroud, but he was part of this love triangle that went on on the um, deadline day, which saw Batshuayi end up at Dortmund. I mean, you can only go by his first game and what he's done, which is score two. Actually, he scored three, but one of them was ruled out for offside correctly. Um, I don't think if VAR's there, then uh, that that's ruled out. So he, he would have got a hat-trick and he's got an assist. So it's a pretty much a perfect spot for him. I thought he was very, very lively. I thought he looked very hungry, but then it's his debut and he wants to do well. He obviously wanted to get off to a flyer and he's done that. So for me, the test's going to be in the next two or three games to see if that hunger's there throughout. And as John and Manu have said, if it goes a little bit wrong, how does he recover from that? Because 
Uh, if we're going to talk about strikers moving from um, England to Germany, then um, Divock Origi had a couple of good games and then fell straight off the radar um, for Wolfsburg. I was there the other week to watch him have a bit. He didn't do very much in the way of things. Right, looked like the player that played at Liverpool um, last season and the season before. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. And I think he's quite right. He's going to be a stop gap. And, you know, if he goes and scores 10 or 15 goals between now and the end of the season, he might get himself a permanent move or Chelsea might recall him because they've got their own striker issues. So we'll have to wait and see. But I'm very much um, in agreement with, with John and Manu that this probably wasn't the ideal scenario for Dortmund, but it's got them off to, you know, a good start. And I think it was crucial that Stoger had to win this game. And, and what a great game it was. I live blogged it and then did match report for football stat. Um, and yet yeah, was one to get the weekend off to a flyer. I think, well, certainly. I think Bryce, maybe to add to this, this, this game, yes, Köln are last, the 18th in this league. But this, this, this was a game that all of us last week, we were really doubting Dortmund would win this just based on all the stuff that's going on, you know, and there was so much focus on this game that, that you could easily be distracted as a player in yellow and black. The Butts Why thing, Albert Young leaving, Peter Stöcker coming back. This, this, this game was a circus. And then Köln, of course, their resurgence, all these injured players are coming back, right? They're looking like a real Bundesliga team again. And they are currently a side that has to win every single game. And you saw this in this game. They are a very tough team to play right now simply because they're fighting for their very own lives. And I think, I, I think this, this game, um, this could really set something in motion for Dortmund because this was a game that wasn't, that didn't just come down to technical skills and ability, but it also came just down to, to sweat, blood and tears. And I think winning a game like that really can get things going for a side. Now more than ever, it's important to keep your family's garments free from bacteria. Fortunately, the Turbo Extreme Steam handheld steamer kills 99.9% of bacteria on face masks, shoes, coats, and any other garments they may wear when they venture outside the home. It's the most powerful handheld steamer with the turbo setting that quickly smooths away even the toughest of wrinkles. Works great on all kinds of clothes, delicates, shirts, you name it. Heats up fast and gives clothes that professionally press look in minutes. Try it and find out for yourself. Go to conair.com and search Turbo Extreme Steam. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, definitely, they'll be happy with that result. They've they've had to battle a little bit for it, and beating a Cologne team in good form, you know, I, I'm sure Stuga will be very happy, especially against this uh, all. Nice. Who was the last uh, foreign player to come to the uh, Bundesliga and score a brace on his debut? Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, eh? So there's a little similarity for you. But uh, anyway, uh, Chris, I just want to go back to you um, briefly. We talked about. Possibly, that's why being um, a, a bit of patchwork uh, for the Dortmund side, maybe not being the ideal transfer that he would, that they were looking to bring in. But they've, they've said Zorix uh, come out this week uh, and said that you know they're going to continue to sell big players uh, and develop young players. I mean, what exactly does this mean for the club? Does it mean that they're a developing and selling club that they'll never reach the peaks of uh, the likes of Bayern Munich? Or what's your stance on this? Um, I don't know if he um, if he meant that as in they're going to be a selling club because you temper that with he also said the next player who tries to put us under pressure will be watching from the stands. Um, so that will say that if there's a repeat of Dembele and Aubameyang, then he'll quite happily let them rot um, on the side of the pitch watching, which is you know what we both Manu and I said maybe should have happened to Aubameyang a little bit earlier, but. Um, also said today is, is you know you can almost make a team of the players that um, Dortmund have not taken the strong stance on, and in fact DW Sports did that, didn't they? With Lehmann and Hummels, and even Torjan Frings made the side, and uh, Jondon Rizicki, um 
Perisic, Mkhitaryan, Dembele and Aubameyang. They also included Lewandowski, but um, our friend Raphael Honigstein very quickly pointed out that he wasn't sold. In fact, he left. So, you know, they have got um, form for players moving on and, and stepping stone, and, and it's almost an equal split between Bayern and Arsenal, funnily enough. Um, I think Zork's being realistic. You know, the Bundesliga is is a fantastic league. I know that, you know that, everybody knows that, that watches it. But the the draw of the Premier League is just something massive. So when players get to a certain level, um, you know, like Leroy Sane did, they're going to be looked at for what is stupid money at the end of the day. Um, and clubs will always, unfortunately, they'll always take that. You only have to look at Naby Keita and um, RB Leipzig. Liverpool came in with a, a tremendous amount of money for him to um, be bought out of his release clause and they went for it. So, um, I don't think it is going to be a, it's going to be a thing where Dortmund develop all of their players and they all go. But I think he's realistic to say that they're not going to be able to keep hold of them in today's current climate for the money that you know teams, especially in the Liga and the Premier League, are offering. Yes, indeed. It'll be interesting to see just what transfers do happen in the summer with them and whether Batswai can score enough goals to stay. He's got Hamburg uh, coming up next, so he'll probably be rubbing his hands together. Um, guys, I mentioned uh, Bayern Munich. I feel we have to touch on them. They've moved to 18 points clear at the top of the league. Obviously, we'd like that to be a little bit closer, but all credit to them. They're, they're firing on all cylinders, it would seem. Um, they Put away uh, Mainz this weekend, 2-0 victory, and that man, James Rodriguez, played uh, out of his skin once again. Uh, John, is it because it's World Cup year? I mean, we've seen him move to Real Madrid after the last World Cup. Is there is there something about him in the World Cup that just gets him going? Well, yeah, he was fantastic last time round. I think he got the golden boot in the tournament in 2014. Yeah, it's good to see him playing again, uh, and it'll be exciting to see how he can get Colombia performing I think that I think he's a fantastic player. I think Real Madrid have really messed up getting rid of him, and Bayern have done a real, really astute bit of business bringing him in. Um, obviously, it's just I think it's a loan with a with an buy at the end, so everything's looking good for Bayern as it always does. Yeah, it definitely does look good for them, and that looks like it could be a hell of a, a bit of business for them. Uh, Manu, Hamis uh, Rodriguez. We've obviously mentioned that he looks like a uh, rather bright player a bright future player for them for uh Bayern to to base their team around I mean if we just look at uh, he's played uh, in a total of 15 games uh, he started 12 he scored four and assisted in six I mean that is extremely impressive isn't it and Bayern just are very efficient at the moment they are um they are very efficient and um you know, we were talking yesterday about players that could shine at the World Cup. We highlighted having Lozano and we linked having Lozano, um, as maybe the next James Rodriguez. But, um, here's, here's one for you, Bryce. Maybe James Rodriguez will be the next James Rodriguez because he had a fantastic World Cup in 2014 and then moved to Real Madrid and didn't really ever completely fulfill that promise that he showed at the World Cup and, um, kind of fell off the radar a little bit, but it's, it's back at stupendous form for Bayern right now and, um, could be once again making this World Cup his biggest stage. Not that he will move anywhere bigger. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that Bayern are going to trigger that really, that clause, that 40 million euro clause and sign him in a deal that's, when you think about it, they, they're going to pay 53 million altogether for this, for this guy. Um, in the current market, that's unbelievable. And I think that this, it is, it is an astute signing by Bayern, but it's also, when you, when you look at the, what he brings to that side, it's, um, it's tremendous. He, he has basically been able to Thiago, who, who we may have suggested that he could be on the, on his way out at the end of the, at the year, who's, who's often misses games of injuries. No one is talking about Thiago right now. Why? Because James Rodriguez holds together that midfield. He's a, he's a real playmaker. He's something that Bayern needs. Um, and right now it looks like he's more than just a backup for, uh, for Thiago. He's actually in some ways better because he's a bit more dangerous in front of the goal. And I think that's just, that's just something that 
Bayern needed, but it's also maybe something that the league needed. Um, someone like James Rodriguez playing there because he adds a lot of star power. Of course, there's a lot of other stars playing for Bayern as well, but you know, that South American flair. And I think I read somewhere, I think James is the player, the third, the, the player of the third most followers on, on social media. Um, you know, that's, that is something that the league really needs as well. And Bayern, of course, um, needs something like that too. But to think, think that they, they're going to pay 53 million in the end of the day um, to make this deal permanent. That's just maybe the steal of the century uh, when it comes to transfers. Yeah, and it, it definitely appears that that would be the case. It doesn't seem to be uh, anyone suggesting that they wouldn't uh, complete that transfer with the form that he has been in. Um, Chris, obviously we see Byron, as I said, um, ceiling head and shoulders above anyone else in the league table. Uh, not so good for the league, but the rest of the league don't seem to be particularly helping themselves. I mean, they've got Schalke next in the late kickoff uh, on the Saturday. And, I mean, for example, you know, they, they threw away um, a lead at the weekend, didn't they? Um, getting man sent off and um, then losing. Yeah, we talked about this the other week, the fact that Bayern are being very Bayern about things and going on and winning the games and the competition below them. If you just take Bayern out of the situation at the moment and you look at the table from um, second all the way down to week, a good out of what ninth, which is as far down as, in fact, 10th, which is as far down as Hanover. So second is by Leverkusen on 35 and then 10th Hanover on 28. So those teams in and around that from second to 10th, are quite fluid at the moment and it's changing from match day to match day and I think as we identified a few weeks ago this is a problem why Bayern are running away with it because Bayern are managing to beat teams week in week out and the others are so fiercely competitive between each other that they are unable to beat each other it's almost like anyone that watches NASCAR it's almost like a NASCAR race from second till tenth and then Bayern have just jumped in with an IndyCar and are happy to brat round faster than everybody else in a different car in a different engine so whilst you the likes of Schalke are dropping points you know Dortmund have dropped points um religiously the last few weeks it's only you know they just about scraped three points um, on Friday night Eintracht have been doing very well we've covered them in the last couple of games by Leverkusen Leipzig have, have picked up points and dropped them on occasion so it's very, very tight if you take out the first. And I think Bayern are so far ahead of everybody because they are just so much better than everyone. And, and not in a bad way. The other teams are fiercely competitive with each other. They're just more equally matched. And unfortunately, that's why we've got such a big gap at the top of the table. But if you just discount Bayern, it's a very, very close league at the top. Um, and even still at the bottom with Cologne, you know, unfortunately not winning on the weekend for them. They sort of dropped out of the race a little bit, but they're still keeping Hamburg in check by, you know, being only a few points behind them. Yeah, most certainly. As you said, the teams seem to be uh, swapping places below them. But, uh, yeah, they seem to be a, a different beast altogether. Um, Manu, obviously, I, I mentioned Schalke and how they, well, practically threw away a leading position by getting a man sent off a, a very poor start to the second half. Um I mean, this is just the perfect example, isn't it, of uh, the size below not really having much consistency. I mean, second place is almost there for the taking, but nobody seems to, to want it at the moment. Yeah, um, I think that's that's fair. I, although I, I, I suspect that um, there will be a couple teams that will kick into high gear and uh, probably walk away with, with, the, with the standings. I think that... Um, Dortmund and, and Leverkusen in particular, I think they, they have to, Leverkusen has probably been the most consistent. They had a poor start to the season and then were relatively consistent, although they, like, they drop points to Freiburg as well. Um, so, uh, I think that, I think that there is going to be a couple of teams walking away with a Champions League spot. And then, then, um, as we get deeper into the second half of the season, I think that the, that fourth spot will be highly contested. But um, Schalke is going to be one of those teams that have to watch it a little bit, in my opinion, because ever since that Leon Goretzka sign signing to Bayern was announced, they have they have been struggling struggling a little bit. They only won one of the four matches since the winter break, and um, it seems like that everything that was so positive before the club 
has kind of gone upside down a little bit. And I, I, I personally wonder if that is because of Leon Goretzka. But there's also, of course, the question about Max Meyer. What's his future going to be like? Is he going to stay at Schalke or is he going to, I mean, there's, there's links with a bunch of English clubs. Um, there's links with other teams in Germany as well. Is he going, going to sign a new contract there or is he, is he going to leave as well? And I think that is, that is maybe a little bit too much of uncertainty right now at the club. And, um, I think they have to really get, they have to really watch it because they, of the top sides that did really well the first half of the season, I think they are the ones in the biggest danger of maybe dropping out of there. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Just um, Max Meyer being uh, thrown up in the air as well. It's uh, more off-field issues for Schalke. But um, let's move over to uh, the late kickoff game on, on Saturday. We, we've seen RB Leipzig taking on Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, what looked to be set to uh, be a nil-nil draw, uh, RB Leipzig managed to get a goal rather late on. Uh, this was, um, well, they faced each other in a, I've been told to say this, a top spiel. Is that right, Manu? That's crunch match. No, no that sounds perfect. Oh, okay, that wasn't too bad. But anyway, we're, I feel we have to go to John. Sorry to go to more misery for you, but um, I'm sure you've got a lot to say about this game. But both sides um, lacked something, didn't they? Yeah, I think both sides did lack something. And... Uh, I mean, we've mentioned it already, but Borussia Mönchengladbach, they play in a very specific way. They play in a 4-2-2-2, and their two at the top is made up of two players who very much aren't last-man uh, strikers uh, in Raphael and Lars Stindl. And it's really, I think it's really um, harmed them this this season. And I think probably one of the biggest uh, upsets to the, the Gladbach season so far has actually been getting rid of Andre Hahn at the beginning of the season. Um, because Gladbach have missed that striker who you can just put on throw up at the front and, and use them as either a hold-up player or as an out-and-out striker. Um, we've we've tried doing it with Raul Bobadilla. That's not really worked. Uh, and then below that, you're sort of looking at for your um, your Villalbas, etc. Really, really not a huge amount that we, we, we've been able to go with in that regard. I think actually looking at back at the game, I watched a replay of it earlier, and Leipzig probably were just about worth the win. Um, Leipzig have obviously been in a funny position too. Um, I went to, I watched the Leipzig Freiburg game at Freiburg a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and again, Leipzig look as though at the moment that they're relying on Timo Werner. Timo Werner is a standout player. And, and in that game, he, he did score that fantastic goal. Uh, and it felt a, a, again a little bit like both teams in this match were, were similar. They, neither team had a particularly standout player. And it just took a, a moment of, I'll say brilliance to be, to be, to be kind, but, uh, Adam Ola Luckman, his, his shot on target was, was the difference between the teams. And it, it does, it's a problem, I think, for, for both of those teams. And I, I wonder whether or not, interestingly enough, they both play a sort of 4-4-2 hybrid, a 4-4-2-2-2, uh, game. The two teams are suffering. Uh, because obviously in a 4-2-2-2, you, you have a lot more constriction on your, on your forward players. So they have to, um, they have to move laterally a lot more than, than, than a normal 4-4-2. So I wonder whether or not there are fitness concerns coming in now. Um, and with, with, like I've said, with, with Gladbach, a lack of, uh, real options up front. Uh, the same has happened at Leipzig, I think. Um, Jean Kevin Augustin has not been the, 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 uh, heir and successor to, um, Yusuf Paulson that people thought that he would be uh, and so it'll be interesting to, interesting to see how Luckman comes on but he's, again he's a young player he's just coming into a new league so I don't think they're going to hold out too much hope that he's going to be the difference between them and other teams as well so yeah a frustrating match I think for both sides Leipzig will be pleased with the win but I think probably just about worth it I mean, uh, we'll go to Chris on this one just to speak a little bit more about Luckman he's obviously on loan from Everton there's talk that Sam Allardyce didn't want him to go abroad, wanted him to stay in England. I mean, we've seen glimpses uh, in the Premier League just um, how lively he can be. Seems like he's got some real talent there um, and at a young age could develop into something special. Apparently, Leipzig were interested in him when he was at his prior club, uh, Charlton even, um, and now they've finally got their man. I mean, are you happy that he's made the decision over there, Chris? Uh, and how do you feel... Um, Leipzig will help him uh, develop as a player. 
Um, well, two questions there. Am I happy? Yes, because he made um, Big Sam look a fool straight away, didn't he? So as a Liverpool fan, it's always good to see an Everton manager he made a fool of. Um, but in all seriousness, I think he has to be respected for making the move he wanted to. He said he wanted to go. He was lambasted by Allardyce. Allardyce used um, the example of Oliver Burke. He said, well, Oliver Burke went and he didn't enjoy it. You know, he couldn't wait to get home. So if we're going to say just because one British player went to Germany and didn't like it, that no more should go, that's probably what um, the gist of Sam Allardyce was saying, which is absolutely crazy. You, Luckman is obviously got confidence in himself to go to a new country to try and learn a new language and to get this time playing football. I wrote an article last week for Football Stat about why is um, why is the Bundesliga looking to be the destination for English players? Go and put in an article that how many more of the under seventeen winning squad would have to look to leave. Um, England to get games and this is another example of a young English player having to go abroad to get the sort of game times and I think it comes you know we spoke to Peterborough United Academy coach for that and he said it comes with the pressure from Premier League managers who don't have the time or the risk the risk adverse to develop young players in the spotlight because had he played Luckman uh, over at Arsenal and they got hammered 5-1 straight away. Everybody's saying to him, why are you playing a kid in such a high-profile game? And I don't think you get that sort of pressure um, on managers uh, and head coaches in Germany. There's a lot more um, look towards development of players and you can see that in the national side. The fact that there's 50 players that can play an 11-a-side match you know, that they, the Germans could take to the World Cup. But I think it's good he's gone and what can he get from the um, loan deal? Well, he's going to get game time I'm pretty sure Everton won't have let him go into a deal that says, you know, he has to play once or um, how many times he can play or how many minutes. But he's going to get game time. And and you can see how much it meant to Leipzig um, when he scored because Ralph Hasenhuttle stormed down the side, didn't he, in very celebration style, a little bit like Jurgen Klopp does. Um, And he was really happy. But, you know, as John's mentioned, it, it wasn't the best game. I did the match reports, I did the live blog um, for the site and yeah, I thought it was going to be a tremendous game from start to finish and it wasn't and you could probably gather the best bits of it from the last 20 minutes onwards but if anybody's a Gladbach fan, it's um, it's not very good watching. They weren't very good against um, Wolfsburg last, sorry, against Eintracht Frankfurt last week um, and they weren't very good this week either and I think one of the most disappointing parts of me was Lars Stindl who was more interested in kicking lumps out of Naby Keita for 45 minutes than he was in trying to get hold of the ball. So they're obviously going through a bit of a bad patch with Dieter Hecking at the moment, which is a shame for them because had they um, have won the last two games, which they were probably capable of doing, they would be a lot higher at the table. Yeah, most certainly. It'll be interesting to see how he develops there and just um, how much maybe uh, Leipzig end up relying on him and a few of the other players um, that... Maybe you'll put a bit of pressure on them to, to try and get that Champions League spot. Uh, Manu seems to fancy Leverkusen, doesn't he, as he keeps reminding us. But um, interesting enough, uh, Hasselhutl said that he almost didn't play Lookman because he insisted on wearing his lucky boots, which he um, used in training on Friday, and he said he was falling all over the place and he almost didn't play him because of it. Well, I, I somehow think Ralph will have to put up with him for a little bit longer. But... Um, Manu, if, if we just uh, continue on the theme of uh, Englishmen, uh, it appears Leipzig have hired um, former uh, Tottenham uh, scouts, uh, Paul Mitchell. Um, what, what do you think this will mean? Do you think uh, more English um, talent, just like as Chris had mentioned, will end up um, at Leipzig and not just um, as with the rest of the Premier League, but them especially? That, well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, maybe this is someone something that you should also put to Chris and John. Uh, I personally think that the there is a lot of talent right now in in academies in English football, and that's because the Premier League teams have a lot of money and they put a lot of money into these academies, and uh, as a result, they're producing a lot of players. And at the same time, um. This, this is, this is perhaps a cultural thing and of the Premier League in general that coaches in England seem to be a lot more hesitant about playing young, talented players. And this is not just English players, young players in, in general. I mean, we look at the, 
the transfers of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan to Arsenal, for example, these two players are 29 years old. You know, that's not nearing retirement age for your average Bundesliga player. And I'm not saying this lightly. It's actually true. You know, with 30-31, there's very few players in the, in the Bundesliga that are still considered in their prime. And that's, it's a, it's maybe a cultural thing. I mean, Ralf Rangnick himself likes players to be very young because he believes that they, their hard drive isn't wired. So I think a lot of Bundesliga coaches think that way, that they can form players a bit more and that they are more willing to therefore take the risk to play them because um, you get a bit more that of creative spark, that create a bit more of, um, you know, that street football almost kind of uh, stuff that, that you don't see later on when players have sort of set in, in with the with the tactics, etc. cetera, um, that, that they get their their head filled with when while they're playing at the big clubs so so maybe it's a youthfulness this energy that they like to see and then of course of course the league also you know they don't have the same kind of television money that england do so they have to focus on finding players before they become stars and make them into stars and keep some and sell others and make money and it's it's a it's a business model sadly i think that's how it is and i mean um john england right now I believe the U17 and the U21 tournaments um, this summer. So there is a lot of talent in in the United Kingdom right now. And there seems to be a really good escape route for some of them rather than sitting on a bench somewhere in the Premier League. Yeah, I think it, is, it very much is. You're right, under-17s under won the World Cup. I think the under-20s won the Toulon tournament. The under-21s got to the semi-finals of the Euros and then the under 19s won the World Cup as well. So it's, it's definitely been the best, um, youth year that we've had in, in, for, for the young Lions. And there are a huge amount of, uh, very good players coming through. Um, some of whom have been at Manchester City. We've seen obviously Jaden Sancho has gone over to Dortmund, but you've got players like, um, Phil Foden as well, who is, has been getting game time. Obviously not as much as you'd want, but as we've said before, the, the Premier League is all about it's a it's a big risk league. There's so much money in it that the solution to perceived problems has always been to throw more money at the, the problem. And when it comes to youth players, you you simply cannot really give them uh, any any sort of development time in that sort of system. So yeah, where where it used to be the case that the teams at the bottom of the the table would be the teams where you would see youth development being done. And Southampton is obviously the, the classic example of that. Even those teams now are spending money. Uh, in a bid to buy their way out of relegation. And so we saw a, a number of clubs at the bottom of the Premier League spending a huge amount of money uh, over the January transfer window. Obviously, that's not the same uh, at, uh, in the Bundesliga. And so the Bundesliga is, is a really fertile ground to send these uh, these very talented kids over. And I think it should be um, uh, beneficial for both both the English the English leagues in the long run, but also the, the Bundesliga in the short run. The only problem I, I have with with this sort of easy narrative which says, oh, you know, kids can go over to the Bundesliga and they'll get time, is that there are a few kids who've already been over the Bundesliga and haven't really uh, kicked off. I mean, Reese Oxford is, is an example of that. I know he has been getting a little bit more game time um, right at the end of the of the Hinrunde. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not in the Rukrunde he, he actually gets played a little bit more. Um, but I think, yeah, I'm a firm believer that the, the way that you develop players is by giving them game time in senior football in stadium situations in matches which which matter and if the bundesliga can do that then it will be a real uh, for, for english players it'll be a real benefit for english football in the long run the um the problem we've we've had in england or the problem that they've had in england as in the english clubs is about 10 12 years ago the fa quite rightly decided that you can't teach kids to play football the same way as you teach adults so they completely redesigned the youth football package they brought in what's called the england dna um, which means that players have to attain certain levels before they move on they brought in the academy structure um, at the very top level at the cat one side and they brought it to a more harmonized level so the teams are playing equally and and that produced a fantastic array of talent, which John's quite rightly mentioned that they've won prestigious tournaments across the world and in Europe. But now there's just this almost blockage that the the new style of player that's been brought through hasn't got the chance to play in the full league because the full league, unfortunately, is dominated by money and chairman. You know, 
lose millions and millions of pounds on the fact that teams are either relegated or just scraping the league. And if you want to tell a Premier League chairman that he can play four 19-year-olds or he can go out and spend 10 million in order to save 50 million, I know what his answer will be straight away. Yeah, very interesting indeed. And yeah, I'm totally for uh, British players as well going abroad. I think it's only a good thing for their development as um, well as they get a little bit older that that experience can only do them good i think but bryce there is a there is is a danger at all in this and this is i think something that we also need to discuss um is the bundesliga then just becoming a a farm league for the for the premier league you know this is not this is not just looking at at english players going over and obviously be, be getting their development in in the bundesliga but it's also i mean we've seen Usman Dembele come to the Bundesliga at 18 and then leave one year later, right? So I think it's great that the Bundesliga are tapping up these talent. And yes, they will always have to sell some of them. But what is what is necessary to keep these players in the country and uh, to, to stop this outflow, right? Sort of what, what we talked about with Sorg early on, right, Chris, is how how are you going to be able to sort of make the next step as a as a club and this is several clubs because right now the only team that do not have to sell are Bayern. How are you making that next step? That is something that I think is, is really fascinating and it really ties well in with this 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 whole debate. Well, I suppose that is gonna bring us to our next topic, isn't it? But I was gonna say investment, surely. If you've got plenty of money to keep these players then you don't have to leave them unfortunately that's what football seems to come down to either winning things or or investment. I mean, we even see Spurs, even if they do get in the Champions League, it's going to be hard for them to uh, keep players because they don't pay enough. You know, they've got a weird structure. But I suppose that brings us on to our, our next topic, you know, uh, which I suppose we've seen this week. Um, Hanover's uh, Martin Kind, or Martin Keane, maybe if that's pronounced, sorry. Um, he's requested to uh, take over the club, hasn't he? But he's, he's paused that for now. Uh, Manu, I'm sure you'll be able to fill us in a bit more in depth about this and this is partly because of the 50 plus one rule which we've spoke about in the past but if you want to very quickly recap anyone that's maybe a recent listener that doesn't know about this then you're more than welcome to at this point yeah so maybe to just really quickly explain what the 50 plus one rule is most clubs the grand majority of clubs um in the bundesliga um are operated or the, the teams that are actually playing in the league they have their foundation as a membership club, but the actual teams that the, the actual structure that runs a professional soccer club is usually a joint stock stock company, open or closed in, in various forms. Um, so the rule 50 plus one states that the membership club, which is the base of the, the football operation, has to hold 50 plus one shares of the joint stock company that operates the football business, right? Um, this is to ensure that the members, the members of the various teams around the league always have a say in how the club is run. Now, um, there are, there are a couple of exceptions. Uh, Wolfsburg is one. Um, they are owned by Volkswagen. Volkswagen, a majority owner of, uh, VfL Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen. And, uh, that's the, the reason for that is because both those teams were founded as company teams or they have been uh, continuous investments over 20 years. Um, the other exception is Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim with Dietmar Hopp. Dietmar Hopp um, has been an investor at the team, has made significant investments for more than 20 years now. So he was granted an exception rule. Now, Martin Kind has been an investor uh, for over 20 years as well. As of this year, he has been now an investor for 20 years at the club. Now, usually that would have been enough um, to allow him to become the majority owner of the joint stock company that operates the professional soccer team. Now, the, the issue is that the DFL is currently not sure what significant investment means. It actually does say in the rule, significant investment. Um, they have come up with this formula now. And again, this doesn't, it is actually not written down that way. Um, this 50 plus one rule was, was anchored into the DFL laws in 1998. So, um, it's not actually specified what significant investment is. They have said, okay, well, a significant investment is on average that the investor has paid more on average than the biggest sponsor of the club. 
that's not the case with Martin Kent. So there has been now talk that Martin Kent um, would be turned down by the DFL, that he would not be allowed to take over the club. Now, the big fear, of course, is that he would sue because he has said in the past that he will sue against 50 plus one. And there is very little chance that 50 plus one will actually hold up in a court of law because of European Union compliance laws. Um, so they are now looking at various different models to change 50 plus one because they don't want to lose this model because they don't want that free flow capitalist investments that is seen in other leagues. So this is, this is really where the debate is at. Today, the news is, of course, is that Martin Kint has, is resting his case for now, and he's waiting to see what other clubs and the DFL are sort of cooking up to maybe change this rule slightly or alter this rule. There we go. Um, John, let, let's go to you. I mean, um, are you pro or against the 50 plus one rule? I mean, a, a lot of people will say that it's, as Manu pointed out to you, it, it keeps the, um, it keeps the league, you still, and the players still, or keeps the league and the fans still in touch with, with the players and the staff and their club, um, instead of investment. But then maybe without the investment, we see players leave. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one, isn't it? I instinctively want to say something along the lines of I like the 50 plus one rule because I like the fact that it does allow you to have that broken down binary between the fan and the and the uh, club, which you don't uh, and, and players even as well that you don't get so much in Brit in British football anymore. And when I was in Freiburg the the other day, I was actually quite made quite aware of the fact that. The relationship between fans and players um, is so much different uh, over in Germany. And when you go to watch matches in the UK these days, particularly at the top, obviously, it's very much like going to the opera where you spend a lot of money and you, you end up sitting, experiencing a, a spectacle and then you leave at the end. Whereas at Freiburg, it was entirely different. We uh, arrived early to the game and there was already a crowd there. There was people drinking beer, eating Bratwurst in, in the stands, there was a great atmosphere. Uh, after the game, the, the players engaged in, in some kind of ritual with the, with the, uh, ultras. Uh, and one of the players went up into the stands and sung songs and there was celebration because they, they, they'd beaten, um, Leipzig that day. And then afterwards we went down and stood by the, the coach, which was just right out the back of the stadium. And there was uh, the players, the, the home players just simply walked right through the crowds and signed autographs and had photos. It was, it was very much a different uh, experience entirely. And, and for me, it was quite refreshing having, experienced the the british scene for, for so long so part of me wants to say yeah you know 50 plus one is great but part of me is also aware that you know i i am i am british and and i don't necessarily look at the german context and think right i i want my footballing context to keep up with the the rest of europe and this is the question right does the does the 50 plus one rule hold german clubs back from uh, competing in europe is that a problem and what would happen if the 50 plus one rule was, was kept in place? Would it, would it mean that, that the, the league grew further and further away from maybe some of the other, um, more money driven leagues? Now, it may be the case that that might be a good thing for German football, but I, I'm not entirely sure that a lot of German fans would, would, would buy that argument. And the way that I've always looked at 50 plus one is that, um, it, it's very, it's very good for fan ownership. Um, it's very good for fan experience and stuff. But where it does fall down is that it is impossible to catch up with the leaders. So Bayern are never going to get caught up with um, from a financial point of view because 50 plus one protects them from 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 being uh, necessarily, I, I think, uh, I think Manu might disagree with me here, but I, I think it, it does protect you from being caught up with by uh, maybe a billionaire coming in, buying one of the clubs and then pumping money into it w within the rules. Um, and so for me, 50 plus one is, is sort of a little bit like feudalism. And if the 50 plus one rule does, um, actually get, get, uh, deconstructed, then it may, there may be the case that capitalism could make the, the Bundesliga a little more even. But I guess we would have to wait and see what happened, uh, if, if it, if it did, if they did get rid of the 50 plus one rule. I mean, uh, John makes some fantastic points there. I, I think he's covered most of the of the uh, points, to, to be honest. But Chris, uh, I want to hear your feeling on the 50 plus one uh, rule. And uh, do you think it's because part of it, as John said, you know, we're, we're 
we've grown up with you know, the the British leagues, um, you know, the the Premier League especially, um, and it, you can get a little bit disgruntled with it, you know, um, them almost being money making machines in a way, and and then we see the Bundesliga that is a little bit almost more pure. If, if I don't even know if that's the right word, you know, we like the closeness to the to the the players and the staff and the club uh, and you know, the, the the stands, for example. Uh, do you think that's what it is? It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, there's thousands and there is thousands of British people making their way over to Germany now to get the experience that we've all seen firsthand many a time. And they do that because that is no longer available in the UK. I mean, take out the the lower leagues and, you know, John's a, a Leeds fan and they have a fantastic atmosphere at Ellen Road. But at the end of the day, the football is maybe the spectacle that the people want to see on the pitch. So they get that in Germany. They get to see good, close football play to a high, decent level in an atmosphere where they can drink and eat and party and be happy. And it's certainly one of the main reasons that drew me to German football many years ago. And it's one of the reasons that keeps me going back and back and back, even sitting in the press box. You can still soak up the atmosphere on the standing terraces behind the um, goals. You know, you can pick up on the just the atmosphere along the sides, even though it's full of families. It's families that are still having fun going to the football. They're not what we call in the UK tourists, taking pictures and selfies with half and half scarves and then buying hundreds of pounds worth of gear in a shop and leaving. That's the sort of supporter that English clubs are looking for because it drives them money. And, you know, if, if 50 plus one is holding German clubs back, there'd be an argument for it to go. But if it was to go and the Bundesliga was to just become another Premier League, as in a, you know, a cash cow league, then that would be a great shame. But there has been some calls in just this last few I mean, hours, I think it was in kicker not long ago that someone's proposed um, a, a instance where 50 plus one could go and, and there could be four strict rules that are adhered to, which would be um, the location um, could never be moved. So you could never have a Wimbledon MK Dons situation. Uh, the clubs will always be the same. So sorry, the club colours will always be the same. So you could never have a Cardiff. Um, City going from blue to red. The coat of arms or the logo may never change. And um, we joked off air that um, John has gone through that with Leeds. Very, very strange badge change. Um, And fan culture must not be um, must not be overlooked. So standing terraces, etc. And the the majority shareholder must fulfil his obligations for a minimum holding period, which would be yet to be defined. So they're four good ideas, but you're always going to get that that scenario where if you keep it as pure as it is, yes, it will be a brilliant spectacle and football will belong to the working class man who goes out to work all week and then wants to see his football team play and, and the atmosphere will be fantastic. But as John and as Manu have said, the gap between um, the Premier League and maybe even the Spanish League, which has got quite inflated ticket prices for the average age, for the, sorry, the average wage that's earned in Spain, it becomes a problem. So I suppose it's six and two threes for me, Bryce. Yes, indeed. And um, Manu, if, if just before we go back to uh, uh, the Hanover potential takeover, uh, you ran a Twitter poll uh, once again. You, you get very good at these Twitter polls, I might say. They're quite enjoyable to see what the reactions are. But how did it fare for um, the 50 plus one stay or go? 73% say, said stay. It needs to stay, and then we got a we got a lot of interaction on this. Um, obviously, this is is a hot topic, and um, it ranges from it needs to stay to it needs to go. And people, I guess, that are sort of in my camp that are not sure um, whether it should stay or go. Um, I, I, I'm in certainly in that camp, but um, that was one of the Greg Shapiro, for example, said: um, "Can't there be a totally torn and can't decide option?" Um, I love the tradition, the spirit behind 50 plus one, but I'm tired of bully clubs not named Bayern having to sell top talent to England because they have so much foreign investment and rich owners on top of their TV money. You know, and this is something that you get a lot. And then you, of course, get, you get people like Les Owens saying, I think it should go. Nice concept, but the clubs can't compete with Bayern, can't hold on to their top players and can't compete in Europe. So, um, 
I think you get that. And uh, then you get, of course, people saying it needs to stay. It's, you know, investors will ultimately destroy competitions and you get people saying like, you know, one day the, the, the TV bubble is going to burst in England and these clubs and the investors, they will all go and they will leave behind a wasteland. Um, not saying I agree with that, but you get that opinion, right? So it's, it's a really, it's an, it's an interesting one. And I'm not sure that 50 plus one is the biggest obstacle to beat to catch up with Bayern. Because when you look at RB Leipzig or Wolfsburg, those are two teams that have the ability to spend a lot of money, but they can't. And I think for them, the big obstacle is financial fair play, set, which is, of course, a UEFA rule. So this is maybe maybe something to also look at. And then the other thing is, um, the big topic this year was, of course, for the Bundesliga teams in Europe, they're having an off year. Um, you know, Right now, I look at it as a, as a blip. It's something that a one-time event, although if it happens next year again, then there's something that we need to start worrying about. But they were, Topman were beaten by a team like Nicosia, right? It's not like that Nicosia has a lot more money than Dortmund. And so I, I almost wonder if, if it, if it is just 50 plus one or if it's other things as well. But I like these, the, these ideas that, you know, the, the things that, that Chris mentioned with Holtman, the, the president of Augsburg. Um, I agree, I agree with him. If 50 plus one goes, you can set, you can set certain parameters that make sure that the people that come in, um, that they have to sort of play by certain rules. And, um, the tricky question then, of course, is will clubs and the league actually be able to make sure those, those rules, um, that the owners coming in, that they're complied with these rules? Because we have, of course, cases in, in England. Uh, and I mean, John, this is, this is something that we've discussed. Um, Taksim, for example, I'm not even going to try to attempt to, att- to speak his last name, to say his last name, but he went in and signed, bought Manchester City, um, before the current ownership came in. And, um, there was so many things that he, sh- that in his place where he did it, the FA should have said, no, you can't actually buy a club, but they let him, let him buy Manchester City anyways. Mm. Yeah, I think th- this is a brave new world that, w- that we're entering. And I think th- my problem with all of this is that pe- people only ever think about the ramifications of things after they've happened. I mean, if, if, the, if the, the lesson that we have of Brexit is anything to go by, it's that people kind of think after they've, they've acted. And my big worry with a lot of these things is what, what is it that we're going to lose if we make this big decision? You can't reverse a decision like getting rid of 50 plus one. We've, we've really, we've, we discussed that before the show. You can't exactly implement the laws now and make it work in terms of uh, EU competition law. What are the things that are lost by, uh, getting rid of the 50 plus one rule? And will, will those, uh, those losses be worse than the, than the benefit that is gained? Um, and we, I think we see, we see this all the time. It's the same with my issue with VAR. What is it? What the actual ramification? Not, not simply the basic ones where you can say, oh, well, there'll be fewer bad decisions or, uh, maybe the, the flow of the game will be interrupted. What is it that, what are the sort of underlying permutations that people don't really think through that will eventually rise their ugly heads? And, and I think that you, we're really in danger of seeing actually, these bad things become more and more obvious as things go on and what i think 50 plus one enshrines is something that actually we are going to start seeing in, in, in more and more uh, more and more in, in in years to come is that people actually do want to have uh, a feeling that football is protected for the fans in some way mm-hmm. um, once we once we just give over ownership of everything to to corporate interests it could be the case that football could eventually die out now that's obviously a, it's, a, it's an extreme position to hold but it's not it's not a question that's raised very often when people talk about these things uh, and so those would be the sorts of questions that i would raise in my head as a fan of, uh, of, a, of a club who've who've obviously suffered because of as a result of, of, of rampant corporatism um i've seen the way that it can go badly wrong and a lot of clubs in in the uk haven't um, but we are seeing something which is, I think, probably a denigration of of fan experience. And and once you lose the fans, you won't have anything. So I think people are dicing with death a little bit when it comes to just making this, these leagues into cash cows. Well, we have that in common, John. I have experienced bad investors in my club too. And uh, mm. personally, 50 plus one does fall. If it completely goes, Hassan Ismail becomes the owner of 1864. He gets to buy the club for one euro. Um, that's something, of course... A lot of people say, well, that's a good thing because he will invest money. But you know, the only time they gave him the free 
free reign at the club was also the year that they got relegated to the third division and ultimately ended up where they are now. So, you know, you, you're quite right. What happens if we do end up getting rid of 50 plus one? It's, it's not going to be reversible. That's going to be it, mm. you know? So maybe soften it, but ultimately keep it as the basis of the, of the game. And, and I think that's something that one of the, of the, the, uh, comments that I received was, and I think this is a good one. The Bundesliga's culture of fan ownership and strong supporter involvement must be protected. Massive flow inflows of outside capital has distorted the game and the football world does not need one of its finest competition reduced to a Premier League light. And I think that's, this, this is right away by Randall Bela, one of my followers. I think that's a good comment. I think that really nails it down. Like, does the Bundesliga need to be the Premier League light? I think that's something that I've criticized in the past too. We, there's so much marketing focus on the Bundesliga to become like the Premier League, but really its strengths are that then it's not the Premier League. I'm not saying the Premier League is not a great competition. It really is. It's a fantastic competition, but for very many different ways. So I think you almost benefit as a league by not being the Premier League because then, you know, you, you become sort of your own product. Yeah, I totally but, agree with that. Manu, can we just, uh, before we wrap things up, can we just ask um, how likely this uh, Martin Keane takeover of Hanover is to happen? You, you mentioned that if he was to um, take it to court, um, it, the 50 plus one rule probably wouldn't stand up. And I've, I'm just reading away about him here. And he's quite the character. He's, he's called his own fans assholes before. And he, he's called Hanover 96 due to their... Um, less than successful uh, history over the last uh, 100 years as a shit club as well. I mean, this sounds like a disaster takeover in the making as well. Well, uh, I think it's really likely that he's going to get his way um, because I think the DFL is going to find a way to appease him so that he's not suing. Um, that doesn't mean there's an end to the story because um, Hassan Ismail is trying to find a way to sue as well, right? So this this 50-plus run rule is under stringent attack right now. And um, Martin Kind, I think that is a topic for another podcast, Bryce. I think we should actually try to get someone on who's familiar with the topic, with Hannover in particular, and really talk about Martin Kind as a single subject. I personally feel he will get his way. Um, and he's not necessarily the, the kind of investor who, who will put pump billions of euros into the club and make them into a super club. I don't think that's who he's like. So I, I'm, I'm on the fence over this takeover, but I'm pretty sure it will actually happen. Interesting times. Let's see how this one pans out. And yes, if you're involved with uh, Hanover, uh, get in touch. You know, uh, either send us uh, some information, some topics, or maybe we'll get you on a future pod. Eh? It sounds like an interesting topic, but that more or less uh, does it for this week. We can only thank uh, John McKenzie for coming on once again, uh, even though Gladbach lost. Uh, John, uh, what have you got going on this week? Is there anything that you'd like to uh, plug or where can people find you on likes of Twitter? Well, you say you only invite me on when Gladbach lose, but they haven't won in... I think it's one in, they've won one in eight. So, you know, maybe I should become more regular. But we can't have you on every week. Come on, John. Every... <laughs> well, the way that they're going at the moment, yeah, we could do. No, on Twitter, I am uh, John, I'm at John underscore McKenzie. Uh, John doesn't have an H, and McKenzie has an A between the M and the C. <laughs> making it. I love that. <laughs> making it very yeah very much not not a very uh memorable handle well maybe it is memorable i don't know uh, if you want to find my stuff best to go to twitter most of my stuff goes on there um i do work for a company called real sport um and my some of my work goes up on there as well so check those those two things out my twitter and and that website and thank you very much for having me on again Always a pleasure, John. I was only kidding. Of course, we could have you on. <laughs> uh, just a, a very quick one-word um, answer. Uh, well, probably a few words, but what's the scoreline going to be for Stuttgart, Borussia Mönchengladbach coming up? Yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> Not very high scoring, I'm going to go with. Um, maybe, I think this is a sort of game that, that Gladbach win. So I'll go with 1-0 to, to Gladbach. One nil it is. That means you won't be on next week. Okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to uh, Chris. Um, you're busy as ever. What have you got going on this week? What would you like to draw people's attention to? Oh well, I'll be doing some sort of pokal roundup probably um, for either Tuesday or Wednesday's game, and then we've got previews for the weekend. So just 
keep an eye on either at Football Grad Live or at Chris78 Williams. Very good, yes. At Football Grad Live, always busy. And that means, Manu Vetch, you're going to be busy as well. What would you like to draw people's attention to? Yeah, and Chris said it. Pokal, the, the previews for four, all four games are on fußballstadt.com. And um, next week is Champions League and Europa League. It's coming back, so we'll have all the previews for all the Champions League game, uh, games and all the, the Europa League games involving Soviet and German, post-Soviet and German clubs. So that will be on footballgrad and footballstadt.com. Yes, very busy and exciting. So head over to at footballgrad live on Twitter to get all your football needs, I, I feel, in the uh, next week. Uh, but guys, thanks very much for... Uh, getting in touch this week um we hope you enjoyed the uh, podcast you can get in touch with me at bryce dunn 11 on twitter and that more or less does it for this week so we'll bid you farewell and say i'll be in ich war seit wochen auf diesen tag und tanz vor freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.